Nehemiah chapter 9, um, this really has the potential to be a, a life-changing study. You know, because um, I, I think that you guys know how to get saved, right? We place our faith in Jesus Christ. But I think a lot of times we struggle how to function from that point forward, you guys. And a lot of times I think one of our, our struggles is just the fact that we're trying to arrive. We're trying to arrive. We're trying to come to a place where like, okay, I got it all together now. I, I dot every I, I cross every T, I got my life, man, just like I don't sin anymore. And it's almost like, like we, we can't enjoy our Christianity because that's the mentality that we have that I have to come now and start again so that I can reach that point of perfection and that I can say I've arrived. But the bottom line is you guys will never arrive, right? And I'm not saying we shouldn't try to. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to hit the mark and, and be perfect and holy. And man, I pray that would be your heart. But, but really, I think what comes to, to mind is that rather than having the mentality like, I've arrived, you have to have more of a mentality that I'm accepted. I'm accepted by God. As I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm accepted. I'm going to have good days and bad days. I'm going to try, man, to be a godly man or woman, and, and nothing's going to get in the way. But at the end of the day, the most important truth I think you need to know is that you are accepted in the beloved. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1. Because what ends up happening is when you can understand that and get a good grip on grace, then that will change your life. That will make you the godly man or woman that you need to be, you see? And we're going to see that as we study the, the, the nation of Israel and their history, really, we see that in them that's woven throughout their history here they are god's still dealing with them it's 19 you know 48 they become a nation again 1967 they get jerusalem again but when you look at their history how many times did they mess up but they're still god's children and god is dealing with them and blessing them again just like he does with us man we mess up i'm not taking it lightly by any means but you know what you're still his son you're still his daughter he still loves you and he still has amazing plans for your life. Now, if that doesn't change you, then nothing will. And we're going to see that in our study today. Look at, at Nehemiah 9, and we're picking it up in the, in, the, in the middle of the story. You know, the Lord is kind of putting some final touches on this revival. We've been studying in Nehemiah. It's a renewed covenant between him and the people. You know, and we have studied this, realizing there's not going to be any progression without confession. And so there they are, just opening up and just, man, sharing with God the things that they've done wrong, getting right with God, entering into a covenant. Uh, last week, we ended in verse 15. And so now we're right in, in the middle of this section. And, and look what we read in, in verse 16. It says, but they, speaking of Israel, and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not yield to your commandments, did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders. 
that you did among them. But they hardened their hearts, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. You know, again, picking it up in the middle of this uh, covenant, last time we studied together how God chose Abraham, made a covenant with him, and then the people ended up in Egypt in bondage and slavery. God bought them out with ten signs and then parted the sea. God led them in the wilderness uh, day by day with a cloudy pillar by night, a pillar by fire in the, in the evening to give them light and guidance on the road that they should travel. I mean, just looking at the history of Israel, starting with Abraham, then now there's probably three million people. God's intimately leading them in the wilderness, that intimate guidance of God for our lives. And, and we saw in studying last time how God gave them laws for their own good. He gave them the Sabbath to give them rest again for their own good. He gave them bread from heaven, the manna. He gave them water in the, in the desert. God was so good to them. So good to them, right? And so from that point on, you would figure everything would go good, right? And, and here we see, no, it, it didn't. Again, verse 16, they and our fathers, they acted proudly. They hardened their necks. I'm not going to do what God tells me to do, right? They didn't heed God's commandment. They refused to obey. Verse 17 says they were not mindful of God's wonders. I mean, after all that God had done, you would figure that they would have figured it out, that you know, they had a leader. God was their leader. Moses was the one that God had ordained as their leader, right? I mean, clearly God had used Moses and Aaron to set them free. Anyone could see that. Anyone, right? But, but they did not see that. They went so far, the Bible says, as to appoint someone else to lead them back to bondage. That's what the Bible says. They wanted to go back to Egypt, back to the world. They wanted to go backwards rather than going forward. And you might wonder, well, how could that happen? How could anyone not want to go forward in their relationship with God? Why would they want to go back to Egypt, that place of bondage, right? And, and the answer is there in verse 17, because they were not mindful of God's wonders. The NIV says they failed to see the miracles. Uh, a good cross-reference is Psalm 78, verse 11. It says, And they forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Later in the same chapter, verse 42, they did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. You know, and, and I, I don't know about you guys, but that, that's the day that we got saved. You know, all of us here, we have different testimonies. For some of you here, it was an overnight experience. It was a moment in time where God himself, Almighty God, the Lord, the creator of the universe, reached down and he got a hold of your heart. He saved you. You were dead. Now, you, now you're alive. You were blind. Now you see. You were lame. Now you walk. You were deaf. Now you hear. You couldn't speak. But now you can. I mean, God did a miracle in your life. That's what he did with the children of Israel. You know, that right there, if you didn't have anything else, and although we have a thousand other things, a million other things that we can point to on how God has had his hand on our life, if there was nothing else except for the day that you got saved, then that would be enough. The children of Israel had come out of Egypt, ten plagues. God flexed his muscles. 
God divided the sea and he set them free, but they were not mindful of his wonders. You know, they, they, they didn't let it sink in. It didn't sink in. It, it didn't stay in. And they forgot what God had done. You know, how we need to let those miracles, first of all, sink in and then, and then stay in. You know, many of us have experienced the hand of God, the undeniable hand of God, you know, the day we're saved. And let me just share with you guys, God expects that to, to sink in and to stay in. And that wonders, those wonders, they need to stay so that we can obey. Don't ever let it go away, you guys. It's so important for us to know that, remember that. And yeah, for some of you here, maybe it was a week or well, it was a, a little longer, but but now you can't deny the fact that God touched your life. You know, for me, I'll, I'll never forget. I am the most accountable of all men that the day that I got saved and the day that God touched my heart and the day that he set me free, no more drugs, no more alcohol. I mean, you know, a lot of us here, how many of you guys here before you were saved used to throw out F-bombs all the time? You would say all these crazy things. It just flowed out of your mouth. It was your expressive vernacular right and then all of a sudden man the day that you guys say some of you guys are in the same place that i was in god set you free you didn't do that anymore was that you no that was the lord he got your heart and then you know you look at your life and man you look at the children of israel a pillar of fire by night a pillar of cloud by day to give them light on the road which they should travel nehemiah chapter 9 verse 12 and how he has guided your life I can't tell you how many immaculate, I mean, amazing ways that God has guided my life through dreams. I've had dreams that will blow your mind and how God led me to go to Bible college, how God led me to, you know, take a step of faith and, and start the church in Almani. Scriptures, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Undeniable the way that God has guided us. That's where the children of Israel were. But tragically, what ends up happening is we forget those things for whatever reason. You know, and that's why the word is so important. You know, don't let those experiences, you know, go away and become futile in your life. But the word is so important because we don't live by experience, right? We have to live by the exposition of God's word. But we got to make sure that we do our best to take those things to heart. You know, Israel tragically did not do that. They disobeyed in so many ways along the way, whether it be Miriam and, and Aaron who came against Moses, right? Whether it be Korah's rebellion in Numbers chapter 16, the, the time they appointed a leader to return to Egypt was back in Numbers 14 after they refused to go in to the promised land. God had shown himself strong. He had miraculously brought them out of Egypt. He's now leading them into the promised land. And, you know, and I know that you know, God might call us to do something that's really beyond us, but let me tell you something. If that's where God is leading you, then go. Right? Because there's nothing too hard for him. Right? If that's where God is guiding, then surely he will grant you the victory. But you guys remember the story, Numbers 13, they said the giants are too big, we're grasshoppers in their sight. We can't do this. And they refused to go in and obey the Lord who had shown himself strong. So, you know, you, you look at that story and, and you figure, well, then God wiped them out, right? 
wrong. <laughs> Look what we read next. Look at this God that we serve. It says, but you, verse 17, but you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. You see, that's the God that we serve. Do you guys know that? Is your perception of God biblical? Do you guys know that God is long-suffering? Do you understand that he is gentle and kind and loving and gracious? Do you understand that that is the God that we serve, that that is the living God? That's what we see here in Nehemiah. Oh, how vital it is to have a proper perspective of our Father as his children. We have to understand that this is God, and he's so different than us. We like to make God into our image, and that's what messes us all up. God's not like us. God is just absolutely, infinitely beyond your wildest imagination, the depth of his love, the ocean of his grace. It absolutely is beyond us. You know, there are some people out there that if you were to do them wrong one time, they would never forgive you. That's man. That's how some people are. They're always ready to bring it up, which, by the way, means that you have not forgiven. If you always got it in your back pocket, ready to pull out, you got some ammo to hit somebody with, let me tell you something, that is not forgiveness. See, when God forgives us, he casts it as far as the east is from the west, and he brings it up no more. That's what the Bible says. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43, 25, I love this. I, the Bible says, God says, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isn't that amazing? How God can come and I got this new little gadget I got at Sam's Club the other day. I've been kind of lusting after it for a long time, but I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's a little like magnetic board. It's a blackboard, and you write on it, and it looks all like neon and stuff like that. And uh, the cool thing about it is when you push the button, it erases everything. Have you guys seen that? They're really cool, man. You should get one, but <laughs> save paper, you know? But, I mean, you guys, that's what God has done for us. Do you understand that? I mean, we blow it, we sin, and, you know, uh, and, and it, just, it just tears us up, and it condemns us. And next thing you know, we don't want to go to church, or we don't want to serve, or we don't want to function anymore, you know? And again, not saying that, you know, this is a license to go and, and sin, absolutely not, but you got to know the God that you serve, that he pushes that button because his son was nailed to a cross. And all your sins are forgiven. The Bible says right here that he is a God who is ready to pardon. You turn from that sin, you trust in Christ. As, you know, as I was studying verse 17, to be honest with you, I, I couldn't help but think of Ephesians chapter 2. You guys remember that? Put your marker here and go to Ephesians chapter 2 just for a second. Okay, go back. No, I'm just joking. Ephesians. Ephesians 2 Notice what it says, and you 
he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? It's the devil, right? The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath. What's that? That's children who are headed for the lake of fire, the wrath of God. That's who we were. We were dead in our sins. We were walking according to the prince of the power of the air. I mean, we were absolutely on this slippery slope to hell without hope, right? That's who we were. But look at verse 4. It says, but God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And not, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, this is who we were, but this is who God is. And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, Man, it's amazing the way your name is written in the book of life. And from that point forward, you are a child of God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. He is your father from that moment forward. You see? And for us, it's so important to understand this is who we are, were but, but God. In verse 4, if you go back to, to Nehemiah, it's the same thing, that they did all this stuff. He says, but you are God, right? And so in looking at this, I think it helps us to know that in spite of their rebellion, God did not forsake them. Look at the end of verse 17. All that that they did, this is who God is, and it says at the end of verse 17, and he did not forsake them. And that's what the Bible says about God in Hebrews 13, verse 5, that he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? And so we pick it up in verse 18. It says, even when they made a, a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocation." Yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light in the way they should go. You know, they, they made a, a molded calf for themselves. We read about this in Exodus 32. You guys remember the story when Moses was up in the mountain, he was taking a while and and the people were impatient, and so they approached Aaron, and they said, hey, you, you need to take over and, and make us a God to go before us, because this Moses guy, you know, we don't know what happened to him. Maybe he died or something. And so Aaron said, okay, well, every one of you, just give me your earrings, give me your gold, and then he fashioned it. He even carved it with a fashioning tool, and he made a calf, and he said, this is your God, O Israel. 
And after all God had done, they committed both spiritual and physical adultery, the people of God in the very presence of God. I mean, imagine that. You know, you bless them. You give them everything that's good. You save them. And then they go, and they're sleeping around right there in your face. Imagine that. You know, I don't know about you, but if I was God, I'd probably sign someone else up, man. I'd say, you know what, you, you're done. I mean, I mean, but thank God I'm not. What the Bible says is that God did not wipe Israel out. Some of them did die, but they did not get what they deserved. He showed them mercy. You know, he even calls it, in verse 19, manifold mercies. Their father did not forsake them in the wilderness. God kept guiding and God kept providing. Look at verse 20. You also gave them your good spirit. How many of you guys have a capital S right there? That's the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, that's huge. You gave them your spirit to instruct them, did not withhold your, your manna from their mouth, gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. I mean, don't you guys hate buying clothes? Man, I, I just hate it. I hate the whole process, having to try it on. Because, you know, nine times out of ten, they say if you don't love it when you try it on, you're not going to like it later. So, you know, just spending money, all that. Imagine if you had clothes that you just never had to buy anymore, man. I mean, that's, that, that's how they were blessed. I mean, they were blessed in so many ways, the Holy Spirit to teach them the Holy Bible. That's instruction. They had manna. I mean, you guys ever think about the whole story of manna in the book of Exodus chapter 17? I mean, just to me, that blows me away. Imagine how cool it would be if all you had to do was wake up in the morning and your food was waiting for you. Imagine that. Ready to go. No need to travel to the market. You don't got to go jack in the box or even pull out a pan to fry up some eggs. Not know the best food in the whole wide world was provided for you by God waiting for you. Imagine how good it was. And not only that, how good for you it was. Right now I'm watching my diet and looking at my sodium and all that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, I mean, there was no sodium, no bad fats, no bad cholesterol, pure energy. I mean, the best food and the best water, the drink for 40 years, they lacked nothing. That's how good God was to them even after they failed him. That's how good God was to them. So someone comes up to you and asks you that question, you know, is your father faithful? Is your father faithful? And you say to them, well, he's still on probation, to be honest with you. And they say, really? Well, how long has, has he been on probation? How long has it been? 40 years? He's been faithful to you your whole life. Your whole life. And it still hasn't sunk in? Well, yeah, Manny, but that bad thing happened. Well, let me tell you something. In God's eyes, I know it looks bad to us because we live in a broken world, but you got to know that bad thing, like, you know, I think it was Angel or one of the guys we were sharing earlier, uh, Abel, um, he'll take those ashes and he'll, he'll make beauty for ashes. 
What the devil intended for evil, God will use for good because all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. I mean, 40 years of faithfulness, all your life he's watched over you and provided for you. And we got to let that sink in and we, we got to let that stay in. Look at how good he was to them. I mean, he's guided, he's provided, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Bible, green pastures, still waters. Just as we read in Psalm 23, it says in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will never lack, never. You know, Paul put it another way in Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches by glory in Christ Jesus. Great provisions, great victories. Look at verse 22. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You know, and as you go through the history of Israel, the Lord brings these guys up a lot. You want to know why? Because these were big dudes, man. They had a bed, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11, that was 6 feet wide and 13 feet tall. Imagine that. These were the last of the giants. And, and, and God said, I gave them to you. I gave you these great things. You guys, you will find that it, I don't care if the whole wide world comes against you and all the hosts of hell oppose you. If God is for us, then who can be against us, right? Romans 8, 31. There's nothing to stop us. There's no enemy out there. There's no giant out there. The only one that can slow us down is us. And we slow ourselves down when we don't understand we're accepted in the beloved. We slow ourselves down when we don't have faith in our faithful Father who is leading us to a place called the promised land. I mean, he brought him out of Egypt and he brings them into the promised land in, in verse 24. So the people went in and, and possessed the land. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possesses houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. I mean, they enjoyed the blessings of God. And so, you know, you read the history of Israel, you read now in the book of jo uh, Joshua, when they go into the promised land, and it's, uh, it's interesting, the whole thing finds its heart in the way that they conquered Jericho, that very first city when they went in, in Joshua chapter 6. I don't know if you guys remember the story, man, but, you know, the fortifications around Jericho, the walls were amazing. When you study history and when you study archaeology, the walls were structured on a three-tiered plan, starting with a natural embankment, which ran from the ground all the way up to the stone wall, and then the stone wall itself was about 15 feet high. And then on top of that stone wall was another wall made of mud bricks that was 20 to 26 feet high and 6 feet thick. 
And so together, these walls combined to form a fortification that was 41 feet high. So, you know, you look at that and you're like, man, there's no way that we can bring those walls down. They're impregnable. It's impossible. But you guys remember the story in the book of uh, Joshua chapter 6. God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city once. And you do that for six days. Don't say anything. Be quiet. I know it's going to be hard for you, but you ladies stay here. I want you guys to march around that city, right? <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> and so, forgive me, Lord. <laughs> So you march around it six times, and in the seventh day, what I want you to do is I want you to rise really early, and I want you to march around it seven times, and then what I want you to do is blow the trumpets and just yell, you know, claim the victory. And you guys remember they did that, and those walls and that fortress that was 41 feet high, like a telephone pole, they all came crashing down, the Bible says, flat. And every man, the Bible says, because they got us surrounded now, every man went straight and claimed his land. I mean, and you look at that, and I mean, who, come on, who did that? Was it Joshua? Was it their army? Was it their trumpeteers? No, it was God. It was God who did that. You know, and, and, and right here, he's telling them the amazing things that that God had done in order for them to take the city. And we, in our life, as things like that happen to us, so many stories I could tell you of the, the miracles that God has done in my family and in this ministry. And I know a lot of you here too, you have miracles that have happened in your life that you have forgotten. You have forgotten. You're not mindful of them any longer. You know, and you've allowed the world and the heartaches to take them away and to give you a short type of memory. Not only that, you know, it's not just what happened to you personally. What about the person sitting next to you? You know, some wives here, some husbands here, your spouse had a radical transformation. That's a witness to you. For you to live a certain way, you may not have experienced it yourself, but you saw it with your own two eyes, and you can't deny the existence of God through the life of the miracle that's sitting next to you. See, and we have this for us, and, and these guys, they got these cities right here. Notice again, it says in verse 8, they took strong cities, rich land, possessed houses full of all goods. I mean, imagine if you got, you know, you just walked in. I mean, I'm blessed, to be honest with you. I was given a house. I inherited a house from my, from my in-laws. And uh, I always see it as, a, as a, you know, a house. What do they give those houses to pastors? I forget what they're called, parsonage or something like that. You know, I mean, but these are houses that are fully furnished. I mean, you got Kenmore you know, dishwashers, you got flat screens. I mean, you name it, it's just filled with everything they would need. They didn't have to dig cisterns. They, they had olive groves. They had vineyards. God gave them everything, everything. And so, you know, you look at this, and even, and I, I don't know if you think this is good or not, but look at the end of verse 25. They ate and were filled, and they grew fat. You know, and you might look at that and think, well, that's not a good thing. 
Well, believe it or not, it, it was a good thing. I remember we went to Cambodia. Because when you go to Cambodia, everybody's skinny. Everybody is skinny. Except for the, the uh, Americans that go over there. <laughs> and so they trip out on you. Let's just say you go to Cambodia. Hopefully you can in June. You know, and you're a little, you know, chunky or whatever, man. They'll look up. They'll come up to you and they'll go, wow, man. <laughs> You're blessed. That's how they see it. That's what happened to them, you guys. They got fat. They got filled. They got, they got blessed. But, you know, God had warned them back in Deuteronomy 8. When you get a chance, I encourage you to read it 10 through 20, that when you get fat, when you get fed, don't forget the Lord, right? Which, unfortunately, is exactly what they did. Look at verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. Verses 26 through 28 is really the book of Judges. And I don't know if we can blame it on the parents, but somehow the next generation that had gone into the promised land, they did not know the Lord. You read that in Judges chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, and when you read the book of Judges, it's really a heartache. And let me tell you guys something. I think there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians, who are wandering in the wilderness. They're not living the victorious Christian life. And I think there are a lot of Christians who are in the cycle of the book of Judges. And what the book of Judges was, was after they got blessed and they fell into sin. And I'm not talking about stumbling. I'm not talking about, you know, the fact that I've already pointed that out to you that you can't be perfect. I'm talking about die-cast rebellion. I'm talking about presumptuous sin and eyes wide open. I'm going into it anyway. I don't care, God, whether or not this is a, a, a thing that you have a problem with. I'm going to do it anyways. So they would go into sin, which would lead them into slavery, you see, and then from there, they would go to supplication. After they're as slaves, they would pray, and then God would bring them salvation. They kept going over and over and over and over again. Some people get stuck in that cycle. Unfortunately, that's what happened to the children of Israel. They went from sin to slavery, supplication, salvation. Another way to say it is disobedience, defeat, are you defeated? Then despair, oh Lord, help me. And then deliverance. But then they would go back. Here's the thing that you guys need to know, man, is that when God shows you grace, don't just say, well, in Romans chapter 5, it says that 
You know, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You know, don't let that grace be a license for liberty for you to continue in your sin. When God forgives you and he shows you you're accepted in him, let it change you. Let it set you free from whatever it is, the pride, the covetousness, the slander, the lies, the gossip, the drugs, the alcohol, the sexual sin. Let the grace of God set you free. Come out of that cycle and understand who God is and who you are in him. You read there in verse 28 that many times God delivered them according to his mercies. You know, the other day I was talking to a guy you know, he doesn't go to this church, you know, but I, I've known him for a while, to be honest with you. And we were talking, and, uh, and, and, he, and he told me, you know, Manny, I have AIDS. I said, you do? I would have I never known that. He said, yeah, I served the Lord for, for 17 years. But then I, I, I just started going my own way and doing my own thing, and you know, I started, you know, sleeping around here and there. And, you know, he's married the whole time. He has a beautiful family. But, you know, one day he ends up uh, going to the doctors. And the doctor calls him the next day, I need to talk to you. And the doctor tells him right there, you have AIDS. This changes life. I would have never known it, you know. And, again, you know, you, you, you hear that those things can happen. But I tell you what, for me, and hearing this story firsthand, it, it was another warning to me that you've got to stay pure. God will, will chasten you like you can't even begin to imagine. I mean, we're doing a funeral this Saturday for a man who was, who was killed in prison. He's been in there for the last 17 years. The things that, that people do. But the thing about it, you know, what we got to come away with is that, is that God will chasten us, but, but we're still his children. So, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, what, what will you allow the grace of God to do in your life? You know, the children of Israel right here, they're, they're going up and down, up and down. There's such an inconsistency here. God is giving them grace all the way through. You know, but we're going to see at the end of our study today that they ended up being slaves in their own land. That wasn't what God intended for them. And for some of us here, my, my worst nightmare would be that you end up at the end of your life in some place that you don't belong, and, and God says to you, that was, you were never intended to be there, my son. Let the grace of God change you to a place that you would love him and, and, and want to obey him. Look at verse 29, and testify against them, that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments but sinned against your judgments which if a man does he shall live by them and and they shrugged their shoulders they stiffened their necks they would not hear yet for many years you had patience with them you testified against them by your spirit and your prophets yet they would not listen 
Therefore you gave them into the land of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful. You know, God blessed them in so many ways, kings and kingdoms. I think of David and Saul, prophets who prophesied, anointed and appointed by God, speaking God's word, warning of judgment to come if they didn't get right. That's all a blessing from God. But in spite of the blessings as a nation, they never really got right. You know, verse 30, it says, Yet for many years. I mean, we're talking like 2,000 years from Abraham, you know, all the way to Christ. But now we see from 2000 B.C., 1,300 years, God was patient with the northern kingdom. But then finally, in 722 B.C., Assyria came, took the northern kingdom away. And then in 586 B.C., he took the southern kingdom away. But we're talking, man, over 1,000 years, how God was patient with them. But the thing about it, and he's right there warning them, verse 31, he didn't utterly consume them. You know, they should have faded away into oblivion. They're taken to Assyria. They're taken to Babylon. That's how nations are destroyed. That's how they disintegrate. That's how they're gone into oblivion. But these are God's people. You are God's children. You know, I've been reading through the book of Isaiah lately as I'm going through my reading through the Bible. And man, I am just so blown away at how God loves his people. Yes, he'll chasten them. Yes, he'll deal with them. Babylon, you're going to get in trouble because you thought you were bad. Assyria, Edom, it don't matter who you are. All those nations out there that don't love the Lord, God's going to deal with them in a different way. But when it comes to his children... It's just so beautiful to read in the book of Isaiah how he would bring them back. You know, one day, you guys, we're going to be in heaven. We're going to be home. That's so cool. So I pray that that truth would comfort you, that you are accepted in the beloved. The only question is, what's going to happen between then and now? How will we live our life? You know, God right here showed them grace. He didn't consume them because he's a God gracious and merciful. And we read in verse 32, as we wrap this up right here, this section, it says, Now therefore, God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us. For you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings, nor our princes, our priests, nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you gave them, or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. And so here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, here we are, servants in it. And it yields 
much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle, all their pleasure, at their pleasure. And notice this, this is interesting. And we are in great distress. Now that's how the book of Nehemiah started in chapter 1, verse 6. They're in great distress. So Nehemiah says, I know what I'll do. I'll lead, I'll lead the people and we'll go rebuild the walls. I'm sure Ezra thought the same thing. I'm sure Zerubbabel thought the, thought the same thing. We'll go, we'll rebuild the temple. Oh, we'll go and we'll teach the word. Oh, we'll go and we'll rebuild the walls. Well, the walls are already rebuilt. They got a, uh, they got a temple. They got a building. But they're still in great distress. Why? Because they have not yet come to that place in which they would love God in such a way that they would obey him. Because that's the bottom line. I mean, praise God. You know, one day, Lord willing, we're going to get a nice building, man. And who knows? Maybe we'll one day somehow, some way, get some great teaching. Like we'll hire Ezra or somebody, you know. And we'll, we'll build these beautiful walls. And we'll do whatever it takes. You know, you got the standards of the world. That's a successful church down the street. Oh, is it? Is it? You know, we're not going to come out of the great distress until we come to a place where we love God because he first loved us. And we want to obey him. I'm not going to try to obey him so I could earn my salvation. I'm going to obey him because he saved me. He washed me. He cleansed me. He gave me life. I want to please him. Not because I'm trying to work my way to heaven. I'm I want to please him because I'm going to be there one day. And I was thinking about this the other day. How many of us here, you want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Wouldn't you love to hear those words one day? Well, let me ask you a question. Why? Why do you want to hear those words? You know, and I was searching my heart as I was praying over this the other day, and I thought, you know, I think some people, they want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, because uh, they want to feel good. Oh, I want to feel good that I, that I did a good job. Others want to hear those words, well done, and, and, and good and faithful servant, because they want to look good. Well, look at how good man he was. But you want to know that the real reason we should want to hear those words? Because God is good. And I, I have come to this place in my life where I understand because of the cross and because of what he did for me that my only aim in life is to please him. And once that becomes the focus of your life because of the love and the grace and the mercy that he has shown you and you understand I am accepted in the beloved, then we will no longer be in great distress. Only then. And so we read the last verse in verse 38, and because of all this, we make a, a sure covenant and write it, our leaders, our Levites, 
and our priests seal it. We're going to see later all these guys get involved and they make a covenant from this point forward that they would obey God's word, not because it saves them, but it's because they're God's children. He's been so good to them. And what they want to do is love back the one who has loved them all their life. You know, it's funny, as I was going through this uh, song, I mean, this uh, study, why don't we have the musicians come forward? Um, I, was, uh, I was, you know, just over there, kind of caught up in my own world, and uh, the musicians were doing their sound check and everything, and it was just so cool because at that point, that song came on. Um, well, it didn't come on. They started playing it. <laughs> this is amazing grace. This is amazing. You know that's how it goes, right? <laughs> and I just, I, I'm right there in the middle of this thought. Lamentations 3, it's through your mercies that we're not consumed. How awesome his grace is. And then, boom, the song just kicks in. And I just knew, you know what? That's the Lord trying to tell us that it's by the grace of God we are what we are. Let me close with one last story. Maybe you guys heard of it, heard of it, of that story how during the Spanish-American War, Theodore Roosevelt, he came to Clara Barton of the Red Cross to buy some supplies for his sick and, and wounded men. But they said no. They refused his request. And so Roosevelt was troubled and he didn't understand. Yeah, I need these. How can I get these, uh, these supplies and, and food? My, my men, they're, they're sick and they're, and they're dying. And it was just so cool. Clara Barton, she just smiled and she said, just ask. She said, they're not for sale. Just ask. And you see, that's how salvation is. It, it's not for sale. We don't earn it. We'll never work our way to get it. But when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and be the Lord and Savior of your life, then that, that red cross, it washes away all your sins. And one day you guys will be home in heaven forever. I pray you guys would know that. That we would have a healthy understanding of what Christianity is. We are, are just so blessed to be forgiven.